0: Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to talk about obedience to, we have been really for the past two weeks, remember around July 4th we talked about freedom in Christ, last week we talked about obedience to Christ, this week... We want to talk about ten commands that God gives to us, often called the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. Notice here in Exodus chapter 20 is where these are found. There's also another copy of them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, just in case we we miss that one, which really Deuteronomy gives another copy because it is a renewal of the covenant to a different generation you'll remember. Notice here in Exodus 20 what is said. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Bless now this reading of Your Word and the preaching of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are again in the Old Testament, and yet what is found in the Old Testament isn't old at all, but actually relevant to today, to your life, to my life, to our culture's life. In other words, the commandments of God are not obsolete. They are absolute. They don't change. These ten words, these ten commandments, these ten commands... Uh, haven't changed and yet summarized for us, summarized even for Jesus, what it was we were to be about. Now, as you know, four of the Ten Commandments, the first four, deal with our relationship to God. So, the last six deal with our relationship to one another. So you've got this interesting uh, two-way, so to speak, inside of the commandments... This is why Jesus later can sum up the Ten Commandments by saying, look, if you want to sum up the entire law, really the entire Old Testament, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've talked about that. But we haven't talked about the Ten Commandments directly in the sense of one by one. So, today, uh, this is what we're going to do. Ten commands that you've heard before. Some of you may even have memorized them. Most of the time you see them listed without the commentary that you find here in Exodus and also the little bit that you find in Deuteronomy. But I first want to ask this. What really is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? How do they function within Scripture? What is their reason for existence? Why did God give us these Ten Commands? It's fascinating because He gives us a lot, right, in the Old Testament? I mean, the Old Testament takes up the bulk of the Bible, and yet he never wrote any of it with his own finger except for these ten commandments. And he wrote them with his own finger. That'd be a cool copy. Unfortunately, Moses broke that one. He's the only person to break all ten commandments at once. <laughs> I'll be here all day. <clears throat> um, God writes these with His own finger. The rest of the time, God speaks through Moses much like He speaks through the prophets. Inspiration through the Holy Spirit. Here, Moses joins us in listening to what God has to say to us. These ten commands get repeated twice. That's huge. There's not many things that get a direct repetition in the Bible. This is one of them. They're important to God. So they must be important to us and it must be our fault if we can't understand their importance. So maybe this morning we can understand and appreciate a little bit more the commands of God. Now these commands aren't just written here and posted in Washington, D.C. like our laws. Rather, the commands are couched in covenant, in relationship. You see, there's a beginning that happens before these commands are given, right? They don't just all of a sudden accidentally end up on Mount Sinai and the mountain is shaking and the mountain is burning and there's a thunderstorm up top and there's a thick cloud that has sat on the top of that mountain and the mountain begins to speak, which is God. No, that's not by accident. Rather, there is a history to this. We have Genesis, right? They finally end up in the land of Egypt. They're enslaved. They're in bondage, and God delivers them out and says, I have brought you out on eagles' wings. I always find that fascinating. Obviously, that's not literally he didn't use eagles, like what comes to the rescue for Gandalf. Remember, the eagles. Or in the Chronicles of Narnia, the eagles show up. So this image of eagles kind of finds itself even in our literature today as the hero, right? Eagles apparently are good. Buzzards are bad. When you look at the two, well, you understand the difference, especially in what they eat and do. But eagle, even for us in America, is a symbol of strength, of freedom. And here God says, look, I've brought you out on eagle's wings. Have you ever seen an eagle? It's massive compared to other birds. I mean, I saw one at the beach one time. I'm like, what in the world kind of airplanes flying around here? It was an eagle. They're huge. God has brought them out with great strength. Did He not ten plagues on Egypt? Which many have related the ten plagues to ten of the gods of Egypt. And God says, yeah, you think that the sun is a god? Here's darkness. You think that amphibians are gods? Such as crocodiles and frogs... Well, here's your share of them. You think that Pharaoh is a god and that his son is the son of a god. Not so. He destroys the gods of Egypt and they end up even taking all the goods and jewelry and nice fine clothes out into the wilderness. They plunder them. And God delivers them and He says here in chapter 19 before we get to the Ten Commandments the reasons why He's done this. Just look here with me in 19.4. You yourselves have actually seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He delivered them not just so they could be a free people to roam around like cows, but rather he called them by name. He called them to himself. Notice here now, therefore, if conditional clause. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this relationship, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, the King James says it uniquely, peculiarly. It says, you'll be my peculiar people. That's a good translation of that. We are a peculiar people. Why? Because we're following some commands that God has given to us. If you know anything about the gods of Egypt, they could care less what you're doing. They're doing the same thing. They're committing adultery. Like I've said before, the gods, if you look at them in the storyline of a typical soap opera, it's the same. Except on a grander scale. The gods are us large. God is not us large. He is separate from us. He is holy. And He calls us to be holy, to be His peculiar people. If we were just to follow the Ten Commandments, we would change the world by our very life. People would say, What makes your family different? How do you have such a good family? How does this happen in your life? How are you such a blessed person? Not materially. But character wise, how could you do that? Why would you do that for people? It's been said by Barna that if we just stopped lying, there would be such a difference between us and the world that we wouldn't need to tell people we were Christians. See, so these Ten Commandments reveal God, He doesn't lie. And so he tells us not to lie. Just like around our house, we don't scream and throw tantrums. So when I get hungry, I don't throw myself into the floor and say, I want food. Sometimes I wish I could. I get cranky when I don't eat. And so when one of my kids does that, I say, Son, we don't do that here. This is not going to be a culture of tantrums in our house. Not going to happen. God is saying to us, I don't lie, therefore you don't lie. It's not some cosmic principle. It's based on God Himself. So the law actually reveals God and reveals how we're to live. But also in the Old Testament, we know the third thing it reveals is that we can't follow it. We don't follow it. Do they? They say, yes, Lord, we'll do what you say. That if, you know, if you obey. Do they obey? No. Now, according to the law, they should have all been killed. Were they? We always focus on the ones who did get killed. But what about all the ones who didn't? He should have eradicated the entire nation. And he didn't. The commands are... Couched in the context of a relationship. It's not just obey these because they're rules or because they're good for you. It's obey them because I'm asking you to. It's the whole thing that you go back to as a parent that you hated as a kid but you end up saying yourself, do it because I said so. Some of them just don't make sense. At the end of the day, they may, you may never be able to reason. You may actually be able to justify your sin. We're pretty good at that. I lie because of these reasons. I need things that God can't supply. And we begin to justify, just like Eve did. Well, the tree does look good. Yeah. And, you know, maybe God isn't for me. You see, that's where sin always starts, is in that little space of distrust. Do we really trust God to supply our... Do we really believe that He's the good shepherd? I don't need anything, Psalm 23. You see, the law is given for our freedom, not for bondage. It's when we take the fruit into our own hands that we put ourselves in bondage. It's when we take action our own self to kill or to steal or to commit adultery that we end up putting ourselves in bondage. Just when we put ourselves in place of God that we don't find satisfaction. You see, the people of Israel found themselves as preacher's kids, just like what I mentioned a moment ago. They didn't ask for it, nor did my brother and myself. And yet, I was expected to uphold someone else's reputation. Namely, my father. And so when I left the house to go somewhere, I was always reminded, remember your dad, who he is. And the people of Israel were freed by God. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They weren't smarter than everybody else. Trust me. They weren't better than everyone else. The Jews have been kicked around all nations. No one likes them as a people, apparently. And no one did here. And yet they were called. They were called to uphold the name of God. And they were told every time they went out, remember who your father is. Remember who I am. And these ten commands are summaries, generalizations of the whole law. Right? Because the law is bigger. Right? You got all the, your ox does this, and my ox runs into your ox, and I knocks his eye out, and this happens. Right? Your ox gores somebody. I mean, these are are road rules. There's civil law. There's ceremonial law. But then there's moral law. All these are found within Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But these ten here summarize the rest. So, no other gods but me. No other gods here, as it says, before me. In other words, no gods in addition to me. Nothing in addition to me. (laughs) You see, the great sin of our generation is we like to be on God's side. We like to make sure that we go to church and and, and try to give a little bit and try to pray some and, and if we get around to it, read our Bible so that we can get on God's side but we also add everything else under heaven to Him. We just use Him for that little insurance card that we can pull out at the end to say, hey, I got my get out of hell card. This is no relationship at all. No other gods but me. There is no other God but me. And when we put ourselves in God's place, we break the first command, which is probably the one I'm convinced that we break most. We act like, live like we're God. We don't even consult Him with our work. That's a separate compartment. Surely He doesn't care about that. When we get into an argument with our spouse, we don't consult God. We rely on self. See, we've compartmentalized our entire life. I'll never forget when I moved. For the first time when I had a lot of stuff. I mean, I moved several times in college, but you just throw it in the back seat. Um, but once you get a family, there's a lot to move. And I remember, I packed up the entire house, and here, I, you know, it was late at night, I'm looking around, and everything I owned was, except for my children and wife, was in a box. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. This is kind of like what I do to my life. You know, I have my God time, right? And then I go back out into the real world. <laughs> I have my work, but then I have my family time, then I have my friend time, and everything is boxed and nice and neat and compartment. The problem with this is you can't box in God. Amen. He won't fit. There's no way to do it. He seems to seep into every area of our life. He can't help but do it. He's everywhere. And he knows everything. But we like to play this game where we have these divided lives. In the Bible here, the very first command is, "No other gods. No other gods, but me. Worship Him alone." The second command kind of follows this in the sense that the first answers the question, "Who do we worship, God? The second one is dealing with how do we worship. Do we make an image of God, an idol of God, and set that up here for us to bow down before? No. No, we don't. We don't. There is nothing in creation, nothing in heaven or in earth that can represent God. That's the point here. Nothing. So, whatever we make in nature is not God because God is not natural. He's not nature. God is super nature. Right? He's not material. If He was material, then He would need to eat. He would need to sleep. He would be able to be destroyed. He is not. He doesn't need to eat. He's not like the gods who need to eat and sleep and copulate God does not. He is spirit and those who worship Him will worship Him in spirit and truth. No idols, don't worship them, don't make them, because ultimately we can only know God through what He's revealed to us here and in Jesus Christ. His Word, lowercase w, and His Word, uppercase w, who is the Son of God. The third command, notice. Well, some people, let me, let me move back to the commentary. Fourth, people say, well, what in the world is he doing with this iniquity of the fourth, third and fourth generation, right? Isn't that kind of an interesting statement? Why would God let sin pass down two or three generations? Well, because sin is relational, isn't it? When I sin, it, it doesn't just affect me. I can't contain it. Instead, it's always to do with someone else and it affects everybody else in my house and in my church and in my family in my world. And so God says, look, I'm only going to allow the effects of sin, your sin, to move down two or three generations, three or four generations. That's it. But those who love me, those who trust me, to thousands of generations. So it's actually His grace again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, vain, empty. Don't empty God's name of meaning by going around saying God or Jesus in a way that empties it of its holiness. It is a holy name that was given to us by God. You don't like it when people mock your name. Nor does God. Don't empty it. No one goes around when they stub their toe and says, Buddha! No one goes around cursing Allah, but they do the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just talking about cursing here. It's also talking about naming yourself a Christian Christian. Lip service and not doing it. Again, we have, like I told the kids here, we have a name that has been given to us that we're to uphold. Without upholding that, we put His name in vain. Also, remember the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for them was a day of rest. It was Saturday. Today, our Sabbath is Sunday. It's a day of worship. Why, you say? Because Christ rose on the first day of the week, and that's when the church worships. Saturday was when Jews worshiped. Sunday is when Christians worship. That is our Sabbath of rest for worship. It's not just a day of rest. It's a day for worship. Although we do need the reminder to rest, not that life is just about working. Some of us are workaholics, or working for some goal, God says, look, you're going to give me one day of the week that is for worship. And we owe Him that. We need to trust Him on that. He took a rest on the sixth day, so should we. Notice here, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. This is the first command that actually is with promise. And these two, the fourth and the fifth, are actually commands that are in the positive. They're not... Spoken negatively. Don't do this. But rather the positive is there. So notice honor your. Notice that it doesn't say obey your father and your mother. Now, because you could hate your parents and still obey them. But you can't hate them and honor them. Honoring also had to do in the Jewish tradition with taking care of them when they were old. This is honor. They took care of you when you were young... Now it's your turn to take care of them when they are old. You shall not murder. This commandment, although negative, has a positive to it, and that is life. Life. You say, well, well my goodness, I'm getting a little bored here because I don't murder people. And probably no one in here else murders people. So why are we even going over this? Well, because quite frankly, Jesus updates the Ten Commandments by saying... If you hate people, you've murdered them in your heart. You see, we think that when Jesus gets here, He axes the law and erases it, throws it away. It's grace now, not law, not commands. Hallelujah. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus goes to the very heart of the matter, inside where other people can't even see it. You hate a certain type of people, a certain race of people. And Jesus says, You've murdered them in your heart. You may be able to cover it up from everybody else in this room and outside of this room, but at the end of time, when you stand before God, who really matters? If you were the greatest actor, he knows everything. Don't hate. Don't murder people. You shall not commit adultery. If murdering is talked against because life is supported here, marriage is supported. Honor your father and mother. Family is supported. You see, there's a positive to each of these negative commands. So, do not commit adultery reaches... It's a summary again, remember. This means don't fornicate. No sex outside of marriage itself between husband and wife. There are more prohibitions on sexual activity found in Leviticus 20. And again, they're absolute. They don't change because of who votes on them. They don't change because we want them to change. They are absolute and they are not obsolete. It doesn't matter if it's fun or if we feel like we want to do it or if it's been around for 3,000 to 6,000 years. You don't have to believe that wall is over there. You can justify it and prove your point apologetically all day long until you're blue in the face like my children try to do. But at the end of the day... When you run into a wall, it's going to hurt. God knows what hurts. He knows how He made us. He started with a marriage, Adam and Eve. He ends with a marriage. Christ and His church. And the Bible protects marriage all throughout. And so must we. Marriage is the very image of God and our relationship. And therefore, He protects that unity. You shall not steal. You say, well, again, (laughs) there's probably nobody that's really stealing around here. I mean, some people do it for fun, apparently, but hopefully you're not. But how many of you have stole from God? How many of you pocket all 100% of your money and never give God the tenth that He demands in the Old Testament or all of it that He demands in the New Testament? You know, we never talk about the New Testament. Follow up of that. It's all his. The 10th just is reminding us that it's not all ours. How many of us, the prophets will say, the minor prophet, he says, Look, who has stolen from God? Malachi. Will you steal from God? I mean, you know, it's one thing to steal from the IRS, they have their agents that can track you down. And we're all scared of being audited, right? What if God audits us? as a church, we're not going to sit here and audit you. But again, at the end of time, (laughs) you kept it all for yourself. I mean, who are you tricking? Why play a game? Trust God with your money is the point. Do you know that most marriages fail because of money? Not adultery. Money. This is one way, one little way that God says to be faithful to Him and to not be obsessed with money. just You get to keep 90%. He just asked for 10. It's fascinating. And yet, we say, oh no, <laughs> these commands are for the bad people. Jesus looked at the people who followed the law best in His time and said, disciples, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, you're not going to make it. It's not just outward obedience. It's in here. If you give begrudgingly, God, here's the money, God. Do what you want. No, be generous, is what the New Testament talks about. Generous is, is generous in parking spaces. Generous is generous in seating. In at work, letting other thinking of other people as better than yourself, Paul says. Have a generous, cheerful heart. Don't be Gollum. Mine, all mine. Who seems to be a great representation for me at least of what sin is. You shall not bear false witness against your... Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't run people down. Don't gossip. We like it. We like it when bad things happen to people who are above us. Yes! Yes! Knew it, knew it was coming. I told him we can't wait to tell somebody that we were right about somebody's wrong. Why? Does God act like that toward us? I knew it. Failure. Piece of garbage. No. No, no. He roots for us. He is for. Why can't we have that same attitude that was in Christ Jesus? To be for people. Even if they're not good people. We weren't good people, were we? When we came to Christ? And yet He was for us. How much impact would it be for you to know someone was doing wrong and still be nice to them, still come to them and say, I forgive you, even if you never do forgive me. What kind of impact would that make it work? If we put others before ourselves. I'm just saying, we think we have the Ten Commandments down. And we do not. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything else that he has. Covet means to desire it. Want it. Again, that has to do in here, right? All these other ones, you can see on the outside someone doing them. In here, if I want what you have deep in my heart and it drives me and pushes me and angers me that you have it and I don't, you have sinned against God. And let me just tell you, that never gets fulfilled. Once you start desiring, you correct me if I'm wrong, right? You used to desire a bigger house, you got a bigger house. You desire something else. You used to desire a certain car, you got that car. And now it's a piece of junk. Desire is never satisfied. God is the only one who can satisfy the human heart. When are we ever going to learn that? Do not covet other people's stuff. Don't covet other people's people! I wish that was my husband. I wish that was my wife. I wish those were my kids. I wish... I had a different boss. Don't covet other people's stuff. It never ends well. Live where you are. Live where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Now, you say, "Man, these these commands are are, are quite negative." Well, yes, definitely, they have to be said in the most. Negative terms possible. Do not do this. Just like when I tell my kids, do not go out in the road. I don't say, you know what, you probably shouldn't go out in the road. Or i really like it if you didn't go out into the road. I say, do not go out into the road. Do you understand? <laughs> it's my parent voice. Why? Because I love them. Why? Because I want to protect them. Why is God being serious with us? Why is He saying, look at my eyes, look me in the face, do you understand? These are clear. Why? Because He wants to protect us. He knows how to protect us, but we don't trust Him. We take matters into our own hands, just like Eve. God said very clearly, don't eat of the tree. Or you'll surely die. The serpent comes along and says, "You surely won't die, and you'll be like God." And we say, "Whoa, being like God's a good thing." Therefore, I'm going to eat the fruit. He must have gotten it wrong. You know, he didn't know all the he didn't know all the facts. No, he knows everything. And what he's given to us here is a road map, a signpost that must be in here. This is not about just obedience. My kids can obey me and not love me. Obedience is meant for love. Remember what we talked about last week? Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. These were His commandments. Therefore, we are to keep them. And here's the good news. What the Old Testament reveals is that we can't keep them. What the New Testament reveals is that we can. Praise be to God. We don't have to live defeated lives. We don't have to assume that we're going to hurt our wife or hurt our family or hurt other people in this life. We can obey the commands because God says He's going to write them on our hearts. If sin is bad, grace is better still. God's power in us through the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we might not sin. Didn't you catch that? Fear Him so that you won't sin. God is not playing a game. He's not on our back with a little carrot out here that we'll never get to. With a little fishing rod. You've seen that? No. He's not leading us on, asking us to do something that cannot be done. No, there's good news this morning. And it's that the Spirit can come inside of us and change The human heart. That's powerful, folks. That's good news for your family. That's good news for your wife or for your husband or for your co workers or for your children. This life is never just about us. We're not trying to be some holy statue, we're trying to be poured out for the sake of the world. He never called Israel just to be a peculiar people for themselves and for the whole world, for all nations. That's your calling. That's my calling. Let's do it because He says we can. Let's do it because He's our good Father. And we want to uphold His name. Amen.